Hi everybody, Brian Pinvidic here. Welcome to Why I'm Not the Aftercast. Um, I am joined with my guest on the earlier podcast. If you heard Why I'm Not a Politician, you heard Jack Berkman, the number one lobbyist in America, give us some real insights into the business of politics. And it was very fascinating, so I invited him back to the studio to have a little bit of a deeper dive to talk a little bit more about lobbying as it's sort of like this almost like a secret society that goes on that we all kind of know is happening, but none of us really understand. And so, Jack, thanks for joining us again. Brent, the pleasure is all mine. So, really, I think the, the one thing I got from our conversations, and our conversations, we've known each other for a couple of years now and worked together, and so I've always been a little bit fascinated about sort of politics and the business of it and, and being behind the curtain. We you want will. you to run for governor, but that's another story. <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, but what I'd love to talk about a little bit is what the general public, because what I find is the general public and people I talk to have no idea how your business works and how important your business is to the business of politics, which affects all of our lives. So if I was to ask you sort of like the one thing that the general public doesn't really know about what goes on in Washington, what, what would you have to say that is? Lobbyists run the government. The government is, it's a little less so under Trump, but lobbyists by and large run the system. They run the Congress. Under most presidents, they run the White House. They even to some degree run the courts. You know, when Congress does things, Congress doesn't even have the staff to draft the, a lot of the things it wants to draft. Do you think Congress, with those kids they have working there, 28 years old, do you think they can draft the health bill? They can't. All of that stuff is drafted by lobbyists and their lawyers and all of that. And that's what you have to know. Lobbyists run the government lock, stock, and barrel. So when you say they can't write the health bill, you're talking about the ACA, I'm assuming, and the billions of pages that it was. Or, so the, or the repeal of the ACA, the original, the repeal, any of the provisions, any of it. So you're saying that that actual bill is written by the lobbyists? Of course. Lobbyists write 99.9% .9 of it. The staff will make changes. And they have something called ledge council, which will add different things in. But it's 99% is written by lobbyists. True of any major legislation, defense stuff, railroad stuff, drug companies, you name it. And so if the lobbyists are writing the bill, who's giving the lobbyists the direction on what the bill is supposed to contain? The companies, their clients, the people they represent. That's what we do. The drug companies, the railroads, the docks, the hospitals, whoever the bill is about. They give us the people who pay us, corporate America or unions, everybody who's paying. Okay, so I just want to get this straight. So what you're saying is if you are uh, any sort of, let's say you're the NRA, who doesn't actually sell a product. Yeah, well, they, of course, they sell guns, but they don't sell a product per se. But the NRA itself doesn't have a gun to sell. They're selling, I yeah. don't know, I don't know they what They sell they're... a concept. They sell the Second Amendment. Right. And, the, and so they have millions of dollars from their members, and they take that, money and what do they do with that they money? They have tens of millions of dollars from their members, almost a hundred million dollars from their members and they use it, well most of it goes into political fundraising, goes into members campaigns, goes into 501c3s, goes into PACs, super PACs, you name it, everything under Citizens United that they can possibly hit, they hit and put money into. That's where most of it goes. Then they hire lobbying firms like ours and other people, hire a bunch of firms. And then you guys write bills and legislations. And we write gun bills. Exactly. I, my, then my staff will write a gun bill. Exactly. And then how do you get the votes for that gun? Like, what if the gun bill is a little off? Like, it's, it's super aggressive, only benefits the NRA. You get votes through money. You get votes through money. You get votes through by giving money to their campaigns, giving money to the 501c3s they want. You get, well, thank you, you get votes through money. That's the name of the game. But 
are you allowed to just pay a, some a, like one of the legislators to just vote your way? You can't pay them. No, that's illegal. But you can give money to their campaign. You can give money. You can make. No, it can't be quid pro quo. You can't say, uh, "Hey, you're going to if you do this, I'll give you that." It doesn't work that way. But you have a political relationship with them where you raise money for them over long periods of time. See how that works? Sort of. Do you know how someone's going to vote when you write them the check? Do you tell there's them a, there's this an the way old, it's going to happen? Now, there's an old saying. Congress is supposed to have some autonomy. If you can't, um, if you can't drink their whiskey, take their money, use their women, and then vote against them in the morning, you shouldn't be in Congress. That's an old saying. So occasionally, you do have people with an independent spirit who will take the money and then vote the other way. It doesn't happen very often. Because I'm guessing what happens then is you don't give them money anymore. You don't give them money anymore, right. They're off the reservation. Off the reservation. Uh. They've gone rogue. Okay, so <clears throat> what I notice also is, is that if there's a vote going on in the House or, the, or whatever it is, everybody votes along party lines for the most part. So why does it matter? What they, why would you buy them if they're all going to vote party well, line anyways? Because some bills, like major gun legislation or repeal of health care, doesn't come down to party lines. There you need Democrats. There it becomes bipartisan coalitions to do that. So there it gets very complicated. Gun bills in particular and health bills in particular, like this health repeal coming up, uh, they're not along party lines at all. They're not. No. Now, most Republicans will support the repeal, but some will not unless they get what they want. Most Republicans will support changes in gun laws, but not all unless they get what they want. And what do they want in these bills? They need, well, some, they want different things in the bills, but what they really want are campaign contributions. A lot of these people go to the highest bidder. And then, and so if they get money for their campaign. What do they do with that money? Like, what is that? Is that just to run for re-election? That's it? If you, well, basically, yes. If you are a U.S. senator, you need to raise about $10 million a year from the moment you are re-elected. From the moment you are re-elected, you need to be raising several hundred thousand dollars a week, about $250,000 a week, or you will be out. That is, let's say you, Brant Pavitic, are elected in 2018 to the U.S. Senate in California. November okay. 4th, 2018. You'd be good. On November 6th, on Monday, November 6th, 2018, you need to start raising money immediately. You can't take a week off. You need $250,000 a week every week for the next six years. Uh, okay, a couple questions with that. One is, where do I get that money? You get it from people like me. You would call me and 100 others like me. Maybe uh, 200 others like me. You call organizations. You call rich people you know. You call heiresses. You call anybody. You've got a long list of people, and you sit in a little room all day and make calls for money. That's what you do. And I basically say, hey, I need money t for my reelection. I That's know it. I just got well, elected you, yesterday, but I need Yeah, you, you say things like, as you know, uh, early on you're calling the political pros like me, and you're saying, well, we know we have to start stockpiling. We don't want there to be a primary. If we don't have enough money by this point, we could be primary. We've got to start now. We want to be with you. We're with you. Give us, you know. Okay, so I'm saying you. I'm with you, Jack. I want to do what you want to do. Give me some money. I need my weekly yes. big is $250,000. Jack, where can I get $250,000? And then we'll say, well, we'll help you here and there and here and there and call Joe and call Mike and call Bill. We'll get everything we can. So we'll do everything we can. Maybe 50 of that I can do. Then and he's so, got to call five more me's. And so you'll get $50,000 to me from who? From my clients. Mostly from my clients, from their PACs, from organizations I know, from other people I know, mostly from my big clients, like the NRA 
like uh, Planned Parenthood, like uh, uh, various companies, you name it, Lockheed Martin. So Lockheed Martin might give me some money. Do I have to call Lockheed Martin and, like, say thanks and, like, do a favor for them? Or if the, guy, if the head of Lockheed Martin calls, I have to take that call and he says, hey, I want you to... What, well, show up at my sister's birthday party, or I want you to vote my way well, on they this don't, new... They rarely will fool around their sister's birthday party. They want, they want your vote. And if they you, want my vote. If you don't vote, well, then you've gone rogue. You're off the reservation. They go like this to BP. They say, well, that's He's enough out. for BP. Now we're going to move on to the next one. Because the theory is the only reason Lockheed Martin has money in the system is that they have something, some legislation that they're trying to get passed that benefits them. Every day of the week. Every day of the week and twice on Sunday. They have defense appropriations bills, defense authorization bills, uh, the Joint Strike Fighter, the presidential helicopter. Uh, oh, God. All kinds of Air Force projects, you name it. And your job is to go find people like me who just got elected who will vote the way they want fresh, for money. Fresh green newbies. <laughs> fresh green newbies that we can bring into this. And that's system. legal. Sure it's legal. It's you can't do quid pro quo. We don't do quid pro quo. What we do is political relationship. Right. We don't do quid pro quo. But do you say I we need your vote on this helicopter? Not in bill? the same sentence. You're not supposed what you do is you never discuss them together. Not in the same it. sentence, not in the same conversation. We'll say, if somebody brings that up, you say, oh, this is a political conversation. We'll discuss substance at another time. Or, this is a substantive conversation. We'll discuss politics at another time. And by substantive, you mean this is a financial conversation? We well, no, substantive it. would mean legislation. Like, so let's say we're sitting with uh, Senator Brent Pivitic in, 19, in 2019 talking yeah. about the Joint Strike Fighter. And let's say you and your staff bring up money. They say, what are you going to do for us? We'll say, oh, no, we can't discuss that now. We'll discuss that in another call that's a political call. So then literally you could call me an hour later and be like, let's talk about the money. That's it. And is that how it works? That's how it works. Now, you shouldn't do it on the, you shouldn't, they do it, but you shouldn't do it in your office. You should go across the street to a place that's a non-governmental building or walk outside on your cell phone. Shouldn't do it in or the Or go into office. the lobby because that's or, why they're called lobbyists. Or go into the lobby. Right. That's the way it works. So I just want to be perfectly clear how this works. I run, I get elected. You come in and you talk about the fancy law that you guys want for this helicopter thing that makes it so basically Lockheed Martin is the only person that can make this helicopter. And I say that's an interesting point. I hear what you're saying. That's really cool. I'm, I'm tempted to vote for that. I'll have to think about it a little bit. Well, Then you, you and I go to lunch, and at lunch across the street you say, you know, I have $30,000 I could donate to your campaign. And during that lunch, we're not going to talk about any substance. We're not going to talk, talk about, about that bill because no, we just talked about we just it. Talked, we didn't talk about, we're going to talk about politics at lunch. Right. And this, and hence, you see the corrupting of the virgin. Right. Corrupting of the virgin. And your job specifically is to go manufacture that situ that situation to corrupt, as many times as possible. To corrupt as many virgins as they can. Right? <laughs> that makes perfectly evil sense. Now, how has it changed over the last, let's say, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? Has, it, has this system got better, worse, easier, harder? What's going on? It's gotten much worse because the television ads go up. Like, if you look at markets like Philadelphia, that there are right. TV ads for one, two, three, four states, five states. It's so expensive. The, the, the ad rates, what the stations charge for ads go up and up and up. So it's just getting much worse. Now, the Donald 
brought brought some change and that the Donald didn't spend a lot of money in politics. Remember I told you the Donald was bringing some new change? Lobbyists don't like that because he's kind of beyond the control. He didn't spend a lot of money in the presidential campaign. He doesn't need a lot of money. The Donald is a little bit independent. Now he'll need money because he, when he runs for re-election he'll need as much as three billion dollars. He's not going to spend his own money. So the Donald within two years will be sucked into our system and control. But right oh. now, see how that works? Oh. But right now, he's a little outside because he didn't have to raise a lot of money. But oh. we're working on getting our tentacles into him. Oh, and see how, how, that so works? how does that, how do, you, how do you work to get your tentacles into him? Like, what, what's well, going to happen over His the next? needs for money are growing. So oh, got it. what happens is Congress is pressing him to raise money for members. He's putting them off right now. But if he wants votes on the, on the health bill, health repeal, he needs that. So he'll need money. White House is going to start to need money slowly lobbyists and then his reelect in about a year he'll think about his reelection so the lobbyists are starting to do you know the claws they're coming in claws and so will the other republicans start to lean on him because they need money and if he does stuff that doesn't work for them or isn't great it'll make their fundraising harder or well, Republicans, presidents usually raise money for Congress at dinners. They all want, you know, if you're uh, running for re-election in California and you're a Republican, you want the Donald to come out and headline a big event for you. And at that event, you raise money. So you need the Donald there. You want the oh Donald to God. raise money. You want Paul Ryan. You want Mitch McConnell. You want everybody to come out there and raise money for Brandt. So when you look at someone like uh, President Obama... Who started? He was a relative outsider to the political system. Complete outsider. New. Complete outsider. And but he needed tons of money at the time. He found it in people like George Soros. He found it in a lot of left-wing billionaires who were eager to support him. Right. He found it. He and became a front, the front man for a lot of left-wing billionaires. I've often said Obama's kind of a dressed-up. Uh, he's Malcolm X in a Brioni suit. That's how I've. That's how I have described Obama, because he's really. Um, uh, he's just velvet smooth. I mean, he's the front man for a lot of left-wing billionaires. And so did that make your lobbying job harder because he had a bunch of money from places that you um, didn't control? Or? Obama was, yes, Obama was a bit unusual because he was very dependent on lobbyists, but certain lobbyists and certain tributaries which were beyond the control of most lobbyists. So the Clintons are more mainstream. They deal with everybody. Reagan, Bush, those are mainstream people. They take from everybody. Uh, Obama took from few. Now, as Obama went on, the financial needs were exploding, so he started taking from everybody. Got it. He, Obama talked about draining the swamp, too, but he grew the swamp. Uh -huh. He grew the swamp to record proportions. The swamp always grows. Trump's talking about draining it. I guarantee you in two years, the swamp will be a lot bigger with more mosquitoes. <laughs> I guarantee you. Well, I had said that before. A lot before, more, water, they, more water moccasins. They all talk about smaller government. I had Ben Shapiro in, if you heard the podcast, and he talked about his goal would be smaller government. And I was like, I think every conservative says that, and none of the conservatives that get in make the government smaller. Oh, I believe in smaller government, too, but it's not going to get smaller. Right. <laughs> so I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. It's not going to get smaller. Right. Now, uh, one thing you said uh, to me a long time ago that I thought found super interesting was if Clinton had become the president and won, you would know the system better than you do now. Sure. It would be easier to deal with. Yeah. And it would just be a different price for the yeah. conservative clients as it would for the Democratic clients. The Clintons are like a menu in a restaurant. They really don't have any hatred of anybody. If you supported them, you pay less. If you oppose them, you pay more. It's all just money. They don't have any. It's just business. You want to go and hug at Christmas time in the White House or the Christmas party, you just write a check. They, they love. They, Clintons actually love everybody. They love you if you give them money. Right. There's no arguing with them. I mean, they don't spend a lot of time dickering about policy. They just want you to give them the money. 
and then stuff gets done. Stuff gets done. It's a menu for them. It's all. It's an. They're the most. The Clintons. How shall I say this? They are the. They are the prime example of the swamp. They are the main people of the swamp. They are just a raw menu. They right. are a raw menu of prices for what you want. They issue menus to people. That's it. That's what they do. So, here's the thing, right? I'm a Canadian. I'm, I'm immigrated to this country. I'm in love with America. I always have been since I was eight years old. And when I hear, when I, the more time I spend with you, on a personal level, listen, we have fun. That's that's great. But I usually leave being like, oh, the world is so terrible. I'm being the wool over my eyes. All I don't this kind of crap. Depress you, Brad. No, but. I mean, listen, it's it's like seeing behind the scenes of a magic show. You kind of, once you know the tricks, it's like it really takes the fun out of it. But how is it possible with a, such a corrupt system and one that has just been sort of getting worse and worse that the country itself, it, to me, is still so great? Like, everything seems to be working. Like, life is great here. Winston Churchill said it the best. Democracy is the very worst of systems except for all the others, except for all the others. The reality is that corporate America runs the country lock, stock, and barrel through their lobbyists, and it's a good thing that they do because corporate America has given us a pretty good life. Right. They have given Americans a pretty darn good life. Look at what's happened to the life of the average person in 1950 and today, 1850 and 19. For the average man, sure, Democrats complain they don't have this, that, and the other, but the average man's running around with four TV sets and five cell phones, and, I mean, this is a pretty good country. And the rich just keep getting richer off of it because well, that's what they do. Well, and of course, because the economy is almost $20 trillion, $18.5 trillion. Of course, the rich are going to be rich. It's the greatest, richest country in the history of the world. I mean, sure, the rich are rich. What else would they, what else would they be, right? Oh, I, I don't know. Um, so tell me about the day-to-day -day of what you do. Like, if you're trying to win friends and influence people and peddle this sort of this cash around there, like, how do you... What do you do day to day? Yeah, like, what do you do differently oh. than other lobbies? What makes your firm, you know, such a high-rated firm and other firms just sort of average? How does that work? Most who's a great lobbyist? Who's a crappy lobbyist? Most of what I am these days, as you evolve, you become a manager. It's like anything else. You become a manager. So I'm commanding a team, and I'm telling these younger people, I've got 20 of these younger people that I'm sending out, telling them, do this, that, and the other, do this, that, and the other. Do you see the movie, what is it, Miss Sloan? Or what's that movie, uh, The Lobbyist? Uh, what the heck's her name? Uh, Chastain, Jessica Chastain, Miss right. Sloan. That's accurate. That's a pretty accurate portrayal of, of Washington. It's, uh, women aren't that influential, but that's a, they, that's a pretty accurate portrayal. Women are not that influential in politics? Not, as Hollywood wants to show a greater role for women. They're really not. The system, Washington doesn't change all that much. It changes on the surface. Uh, not all. Washington is still very much an old boy's town. Since 1820, Washington hasn't done a whole lot of change except to get bigger and richer. And so, <laughs> so what you're telling me is, within a, a year or two, Donald Trump, regardless of his wild antics and the way he's different and not connected to anybody, he'll be sucked in. He'll be just like everybody else. I will corrupt him. Yes. <laughs> and so, in your day to day and the general sort of circle of politics, will it be a lot different in two years now from having Donald Trump or having Obama in? Uh, no, that's a good point. At the end of the day, everything comes out in the wash. We will. Odds are we will bring the Donald in just the way we would bring in George Bush or Obama or any of the others. 
Donald will need money. The, the sums of money are getting too big. It's growing. The sums of money are getting too big for even Donald Trump. He might be worth $4 billion. He's probably not even worth that. He probably has less than like $500 million in liquid cash, is my estimate. He can't pay for this. He, he hates to spend his money. Trump's going to need to raise a lot of money. He may end up, because the numbers are getting so big, he may end up raising more money than Obama. Wouldn't surprise me. And he has the connections to do it. He's got more Wall Street guys. Donald Trump has more connections than any president in history in the financial world. No president's ever had this. He knows all of Wall Street. Right. That's not good, right? Well, not good. You need the money to run. You, I mean, I think Trump, I actually am optimistic about I opposed him. I supported, uh, you know, I opposed him in the Republican primary. I'm optimistic about Trump. I think he's going to bring jobs back. I'm very optimistic about Trump. At one time I wasn't, but I am now. And is that because you're sort of agnostic to the political yeah, side mean, of things? I, I've become agnostic. I'm numb to it all. I've become agnostic and non-ideological. I'm a tactician. My right. job is just to get it done. And so do you have clients that come in and that you say, like, oh, man, that's just a crazy, that's a crazy stance. No one's going to support it. I'm not taking your money. I'm answering my own question. I know the answer to that, obviously. No, yeah, I take course. money. I do. <laughs> it's not our job to think. You want me to think and have morals. Right. I, my job is to do. Right. I don't think. I'm not a philosopher. So <clears throat> riddle me this. So let's say I wanted to get a, a, a law passed that no public school teacher is allowed to assign homework on a long weekend. It's illegal. It is against the law to assign homework on a long weekend. Well, it would be impossible, but I, if what? you wanted to pay me enough, I'd do it. If you wanted to pay me enough, I'd do it. How much would it cost me to get that, that law into serious... Oh, I would. We'd probably want to sign you to a two-year contract at maybe eighty or hundred thousand a month. You do that, and we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about so it. So a couple million dollars, mm -hmm. and you can we'll go talk lobby it. that as a bill. Yeah, and say that homework on long you weekends is against the well, family. You, you would. There's two things you no. do. You wouldn't lobby it as a bill. You try to put it into moving vehicles that concerned education. If there are any, I don't know if there would be any in the next year. Or you would try to put it into a DOE Department of Education reg. Or when Donald Trump is getting rid of the Department of Education, he won't, but he'll try. He's going to talk about that this week, uh, talk about that tonight. Uh, you put it into a bill that abolishes the Department of Education. All kinds of moving things. You play at different, play at different venues. So is there any, like, let's make the country better bills? Are there any politicians well, that are like, yeah, that they really just try no. to make life better? Or is it all just... It sounds like it's all corporate and government and union and special have, interest groups in my connecting lifetime, their issues. In, in my lifetime, I have never met a person, with the possible exception of Ralph Nader, but I have never met a person, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, both Bushes, Obama, whose principal motive for running in politics was not his own personal fame and power. I've never met such a person. The only possible exception <laughs> is Ralph Nader who I think is very close to being the real deal. He's the only thing I've ever seen. He's about 85 years old now. He's out of, young people don't even remember the name at this point. But he's the only thing I've ever seen. That was uh, slightly altruistic in his approach. He was somewhat altruistic because he was so driven, so focused on what he was doing that he almost lost sense of self, which is almost impossible in Washington, but he almost did. I almost mean, did. It's really crazy. And so... Are people like me and the and the regular people out there? Are we kind of being? You're not very regular, Brent. Uh, I know, but uh, thank you. But. Well, um, yeah, there's a lot of naivete. I mean, look, like I said, corporate America runs the system. Be glad that they do. They give us all we have. Right. You know, you have 50 types of cat food because of Procter and Gamble. 
You have uh, every type of light bulb because of GE, light bulbs now the last 15 years. They give you great stuff. And somehow they just need the laws to help them to give us great stuff. Yeah, they need help in Congress. They need to control the system. Look, if the idiots in the Rayburn building and the Capitol ever started running America, you wouldn't like America anymore. <laughs> Who fought the world wars? <laughs> U.S. Steel fought the world wars. The no, government we, didn't fight the world wars. No, we, no, no. Yeah, no, no, of course not. What the government do? They supplied troops and uniforms. Right. Corporate America supplied everything else. They dressed the soldiers. That's it. They dressed the boys. That's it. Corporate America provides everything else. And so your job is to sort of like connect corporate America to the government. The government connects it to We're the liaison. regular people. We're the brokers. Exactly right. We're brokers. All right. So <clears throat> let's talk social issues. Um, because I feel like if I, if I had to pick one topic that people get so hyped up about, it's the social issues. And so you're on the inside of this stuff. Is it... Is, is gay rights going to get overturned? Is Roe v. Wade, could that get overturned? Um, like, is that a real fight that people need gay to concern rights, about? Or is that stuff already down the river Gay and rights gone? is probably decided. Trump has no interest in the issue. My guess is it's gone. I mean, maybe if you could... There are a lot of old liberals on the Supreme Court. If Trump wins re-election, he could put in as many as five Supreme Court justices. So maybe at some point in the distant future, somebody would look at a gay issue again. I doubt. I think gay issues are gone. I think what... Roe v. Wade, I think, will be overturned because Trump will make so many nominations. Even if he gets just one term, he'll probably make three. So at some point, they're going to take it out. And what will that sort of, what sort of policies will that affect? It depends how they do it. They might throw it back to the states. They might say, well, state laws control on abortion, so some will make it legal. Some goes back to the 60s. Some is legal, some is not. So if, in, if you're in uh, uh, Ohio and it's illegal, you have to go to Pennsylvania to get an abortion or go to New York to get an abortion or something like that. And then there will be a big lobbying campaign against that, and yeah. there will be a full abortion court will, press. Yeah, abortion will continue as an issue for many, many years in American politics, back and forth, back and forth, go on for another century. And that's lots of money in play, then? Lots of money. Like, and, you see the pink. The pro-lifers come every, uh, every uh, well, they, let's see, they just came two weeks ago. The pro-lifers, the big pink move, remember, you know the pink people yeah. on Capitol That's all pro-life. Right. It's millions of dollars and thousands of people on Capitol Hill. Pro-life And so they... So the idea is that they rally money from their individual concessions, people donating them 50 bucks or 100 bucks here and yeah, there. Yeah, that's, that's a and big part of it. they pool all that money together, and they hand it to someone like you, and they say, go get us this abortion Bingo. thing's turned. Money and you say, okay, I'll try my best. Bingo, that's about right. Money comes from the big group to the, to the brokers. Actually, to two levels of brokers comes to me, then it's a pyramid. It's like a Ponzi scheme, a pyramid going all the way down. I give it to other brokers, to other brokers, and then they, you know, it's a think of it as a pyramid. Got it. And then exactly the other side, your client, Planned, Planned Parenthood, gets money from donations and the government, and then they same take stuff. that money and give that to you? Yeah, it's all the same concept. The concept is the same in either party. It's like, here, let me, let me tell you something. Here's something that none of your listeners will know. Good. You see a rally in the street, whether yes. it's a liberal protest, a conservative protest, whatever the heck it's for, civil rights protest, whatever it is, pro-life march. They are all, all of these things are bought and paid for. College kids do not wake up in the morning, make a sign, put on the right shirt, and go to protest at exactly 945. It doesn't work that way. You need consultants to organize them like an army, pay them, give them food, beer, all kinds of things. Porta-potties, toilet, yeah. The, yes, organize the whole thing. It just doesn't happen. These protests just don't happen where all right. the kids assemble and they're ready to march. No. Who, no. Who... Who pays for that? Who organizes that? It's money. On the left, it's George Soros. Puts in probably a billion dollars a year. 
money to, to, to do this kind of stuff. He probably spends a billion dollars a year in politics. And the right and left will organize their protests because the theory is that will raise same more thing money. on the right. Same thing on the right. We, uh, the right does it with pro life. Yeah. The right does it on. They do it with pro life. Pro life protests are the same way. All of this is organized. I mean, the same color clothes. Look how coordinated protests are today. You know they're organized. I mean, it it does seem like there's a lot of that going on. Like they're really. But, I mean, I have lots of friends who go to these protests and they sort of make signs and so they sort of blend in with everybody else. I guess that's the idea, right? Yeah, I mean, it's 99% it's, of this is very organized, coordinated, and paid for. Make no mistake about it. Right. Make no mistake about it. Because <laughs> that's the way the world that's wants the to operate That's the way it is. Right don't, live, don't live. Get rid of all these. Get rid of all of these. Um, uh, just get rid of all of the delusions and the idealistic crap and the ideological crap. Get rid of all that. Because it's all going to happen the way it's going to happen, it's gonna, no matter what Right, happens. because it is the way it is. The system is the way it is. All of this ideological stuff has nothing to do with anything. It just it is what it is, and the system will grind on. And so what what could change the system a bit? What 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 are the things that could happen? Guys like Trump. Guys like Trump that <clears throat> come in and don't need anybody's money to run. But now they do because the numbers are getting so big. But Trump made changes in the system because he came in in 16 and said... I'm not taking a lot of money. Took a little bit, not, not a lot. Not enough to have your hooks into them yet. Not enough to have hooks in. No, we will have the hooks in. We don't yet. Now, Trump, thing to remember with Trump is that I don't think he really expected to be president until election night. So he wasn't going to spend a lot of his own money because he felt it was money down the drain. I don't think until the last day or so Donald Trump ever thought he would be president. And I think when he won, he was shocked. And, and I'm assuming everybody in... in Washington was shocked as well. Everybody was shocked. I was shocked. The whole world was shocked. Uh, I don't think Donald Trump had given one minute to post-election prep. I don't think he'd spent 10 seconds thinking about it because he assumed he would lose. Right. I don't think he wasted one minute of his time thinking about that. It felt like everybody in the world assumed he would lose from the very Me beginning. Me too. And it didn't quite go that way. Yeah, it was a shocker. Wisconsin and almost winning in Minnesota and then Michigan. That just was a shocker. Wisconsin was a shocker out of the blue. Right. Nobody saw that. Nobody. And so is that the kind of thing that could happen again? Or will you guys in the lobbies and in Washington sort of try to put some fail-safes well, to make sure nobody slips through the cracks again? The Republican Party will be fortifying in Wisconsin and Minnesota, Michigan, Pennsylvania. They'll be fortifying in the Rust Belt. The Democrats are going to... Fortify in Colorado, Nevada. They want to make sure they're going to win the Hispanic vote. Democrats are doing well with Hispanics. They're growing with Hispanics. Uh, Trump didn't do as well with that as African Americans as we thought. He did better than the average Republican, but not what we thought he'd do. Hmm. Um, all right, so Jack, let's um, talk a little bit about um, what you're doing next. I, you're, you're working on a show that's basically Anthony Bourdain. Yeah for politics. That's right. Each week you're going to be going across the sort of aisle and into the Washington elites and everywhere you can't get into normally and take the viewer on a sort of a view of what's happening in politics That's right. and what you can't see behind the glass. Exactly Tell me right. how you're able to do that. It's model, well it'll be model on my old radio show, Behind the Curtain. We're going to give them tidbits that they don't see anywhere else. See, cable news is largely... They're captive of the system at this point. The ratings are so big. They're like the old CBS News. They need to get the interviews. Fox and CNN, MS, they're all the same. They need to get the big interviews so they can't really break stories. They can't tell dirty things about members of Congress. They won't get the interview, right? We can and will say anything. 
This is uncensored, unscripted, unfiltered for the first time. First time in American history. Two things. You have a show with a lobbyist, about a lobbyist, and unfiltered. Totally unfiltered. Totally unbeholden to anything. And why, why are you unbeholden to everything, anything at this point? I don't care anymore. Now no. I want to tell the story. I don't care. I've made enough money. I don't care about all that stuff. I want to tell the story. And what story do you want to tell? The truth. Oh. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about the American system, just like I'm telling it to you here and now. And so each week you'll take me into various offices and meet congressmen and, and anything that's going on, any we bills? We will show you the deep, dark, dirty secrets of Washington in real time as they happen. We'll take you to the fundraisers. We'll take you to meet the congresspeople. We'll take you behind the curtain everywhere. But why would they want to talk to you? Why would they do that on TV? Well, they know me, and members of Congress like exposure. They like exposure. They like TV. They like money. They also like television. Most love it. Now, we will also accost some people. This won't always be friendly. We know where they go. Unlike a lot of people in the media, we know where these events are held. We know where the secret events are held. We know where the fundraisers are held. We will bring our cameras into these events. Wow. And are there, like, relationships in Washington, D.C. that people would be surprised that people have? Like, I think we all assume that the Republicans are on one side, the Democrats are on the other side, and they never speak. And if they, if they were alone, they might actually get into a fight somewhere because they're just so opposed against each other. Is that really the way it is? Or is there a lot more oh, it's, mingling, co-mingling? Most of that is for TV. It's more that way than it used to be. But believe me, there's a lot of bipartisan cooperation on a lot of issues. Behind the scenes, behind the curtain, there's a lot of bipartisan cooperation. And You're is that because... Okay. Is that because they want stuff for themselves? Like when they want to decide their term limits or how much they're getting paid yeah. or how much time they get off, they all just get together and figure that out and nobody notices? One thing you have to understand, the two parties cooperate to keep themselves in power. They write themselves into law. So when it's time for the big stuff, they, keep, they cooperate and keep other parties out. Ever wonder why there's not third parties? Because the two yeah. parties write themselves into law. They write ballot access. States have laws that say, Congress has laws that says, ever wonder why there aren't 100 people on the ballot in November? Why does it have to be just a Democrat and a Republican and maybe a couple of others? Why aren't there 200? Because the law prevents others from doing it. And who makes the law? The Congress, Congress. the Democrats, and the Republicans. And then, but you would write that law. I would write the law. <laughs> See how this works? So the See Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee would give you money to write a law that makes sure that nobody else could, in theory, ruin their two-party system. Yeah, bingo. Out of the park. Grand now slam. Now I got you it. Got, you knocked it out. Gone. Out of the park. But the, the Democrat Committee and the Republican Committee, they're not public entities. They're not part of the government. They're private entities. They right. can do whatever they want. They're 501c3s. Right. They are private entities. But, of course, they influence Congress, so it's not they're, they're not voting. Congress is voting on laws. Right. And that's why when they're choosing a leader, they kind of can decide, with the, like, you know, where the Bernie Sanders-Hillary Clinton issue came was, is that that entire organization had already anointed her, and Bernie Sanders was kind of in the way. That's what it felt like from an outsider. Yeah, that's right. She had taken control. Debbie Wasserman Schultz was essentially her staffer. It was one of those occasions where the Clintons had taken over the Democratic National Committee. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz was effectively working for Hillary Clinton, so Bernie Sanders was cast out. And it was the establishment wanted Hillary Clinton because they didn't think Bernie Sanders could win the general. Maybe a mistake, because times were changing. Maybe he would have beaten Donald Trump. Oh, my God. 
We don't know. And it did feel like the <laughs> the Republicans and Ryan's previous, his only job was to make sure Donald Trump didn't get the nomination. That's right. Priebus was opposed to Trump because the establishment didn't want that. But then when Trump was nominated, Priebus got in bed with right. him. But all the way through, they were like, this guy can't. we got to do something to make sure he's not the nominee. All the way. And they didn't. They failed. From December, from December all the way to uh, June, Priebus opposed Trump. You're right. And then right. everybody now gets on board. Now, every, now everybody's on the Trump train. So if someone wanted to come out as a third party for the in four years to run for president, is that is that possible? Could that actually happen? Oh, Could someone sure. in the middle who's like reasonable on all policy things that I would say most of America is? What's the answer to all political questions? Probably. You know that maybe no no, no. with enough money. Money. That's yeah. it. Money. Money. I got it. I'm in. Money. You got it. Yeah. Money. So if there's enough money behind it, you can build a national campaign to get signatures. You got to get ten and twenty thousand signatures in each state where you want to be on the ballot. You have a billion dollars. You can create a third party. So <clears throat> let me get this straight. If I took a billion dollars of my own personal money, right, and I said I am going to run for president as an independent, you could do middle it. party person, you, the middle party. You could do it. You could. You'd be right up in there. Well, you wouldn't be right up in there, but no. you, you could make a dent. You could probably get on, with that kind of money, get on the ballot in maybe 30 states. Right. Now, you also have to buy TV. You wouldn't have enough money for everything, but you could make a dent. People would know who you are. You might even win a state. So Okay, like let's, let's back up. If I had $2 billion that I was going to spend on my own money. Well, I mean, if you really want to crush this system, you would need 10 or $12 billion. If you, oh could, if you could do that, if you have somebody that can do that, I don't even know if anybody in the world is liquid at 10 or $12 billion, but if you could do that, you could write a check for 10B. You could probably put uh, a third party into play that would be competitive. And probably. so, since they're like you said, there aren't very many people that have 10 billion in liquid cash Maybe they no want one. to throw away. Perhaps no one. They got to go out and raise it from other people, yeah. which then makes them the same as the other parties. Bingo! It's very hard. You want to crush the system? No. You need a lot so. of money. You want to crush the system? Sure, you can. Money will swamp anything at the end of the day. Right. So what it sounds like you got, the, really the only option for a regular person is to sort of cover your eyes and ears and pretend you didn't hear any of this and just go on None with your life. None of this has anything to do with a regular person. Regular people don't need to be concerned about washing. doesn't concern their lives. They should focus on just uh, getting a better job and making more money for their right. kids or something. What do they need to tell that they care about Washington? got nothing oh to do with God. them. I, oh, Obama, what's the big deal? Obama's going to buy him health insurance. Whoop-de-doo. This stuff is crazy. I mean, people should focus on their own lives. I, uh, I don't know. It sounds like maybe it's crazy because after all this, I kind of agree with that where it's like, you know what? I don't want to start pulling the thread of this sort of weird tapestry that you people have weaved. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? Don't change. Don't try to blow this up. You no. don't want a revolution in this country. No. Revolution. I mean, revolution, you won't have your uh, iPhones. What's it called? iPhone? Yeah, it's called iPhone. 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 Yeah, yeah uh, th that would be bad. So it's better if we all just pretend we don't know anything and we just turn the other cheek and just go on with our lives. It's, it's Hope for the best. The best advice in, in life, as in politics, keep your mouth shut, keep walking, and mind your own business. <laughs> That's the best <laughs> advice in life. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating uh, edition of Why I'm Not After the Cast. Uh, Jack Berkman, I tell you, uh, very fascinating. What's interesting is, is this will be one of the only times where I can say definitively that if somebody wants to see more of you or reach you or find out on social media there's just there's no way to get and to those you. six people will those <laughs> six people shall but you don't do you don't do social media you don't do any of that stuff right oh wait a minute i know wait a minute brant you wait a minute you're, 
I am now up to 800 Twitter followers. Really? You got a Twitter? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. What's your Twitter handle? I don't know. The radio syndicator does it for me. <laughs> I don't tweet. They tweet. You see? I think is, there's a Facebook page. This is power. You see? He lets everybody tweet. else do their social. You, you people worry about that. He's got real business to work like with this flip phone. I love that. All right, Jack Berkman. This has been, there it is. This has been fascinating. Thanks for coming down, buddy. Brent, thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. You've been listening to the Why I'm Not podcast with your host, Brant Pinvidic. For more on this episode, upcoming episodes, or more from our podcast guests, visit whyimnot.com and subscribe for exclusive content, giveaways, and all the latest happenings. I shut them down, shut them down, shut them down.